The following message is a part of the teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church of Fairburn, Georgia, also on the web at gracebible.faith. That's gracebible.faith. Good evening, Grace Bible Church and friends of grace. Our passage from this last Sunday was from Jude chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. And obviously, we discussed the prospect of going ahead and finishing all the way through verse 23, but decided better of it as we uh, were advancing, as I was advancing in my preparation for this last Sunday, because it's really just now that we're coming to the the, the um, intensive focus on the five commands that finish out the letter. So he's been building out for the entire letter the nature of contending for the faith, and and so it was that the book lacked in that regard, but it's only in these last cluster of verses that we really come across the the final charge and command that, that's associated with the call to um, contend earnestly for the faith that's been once for all been handed down to the saints. And so, obviously, a week ago, we focused on the first command, namely to remember. Remember the apostolic testimony that mockers will come and they're mocking. And then this week, we chose to, again, slow down our efforts a little bit and work on the next command, specifically to keep yourselves in the love of God. And then the following week, we'll go over the last three commands. They're very similar in nature and uh, very, they're clustered together very intentionally so. But that being said, um, in this process, I uh, chose to also draw out the fact that um, we recognize there's five commands here. So again, we did remember, we did keep yourselves, and then we're going to have three the next week. And how are they broken up? Well, we saw that they're broken up primarily into two larger categories. And uh, that helps us also ne- negotiate those choices in, in terms of how we focus on remembering, keeping yourselves, and now these last three in the following week. And so we have the two major categories regarding the application of these commands, actions that we're to take for ourselves. So that included, again, remember and keep yourselves, verses uh, 17 through 21, and actions we take toward others to include the three commands of having mercy and saving, having mercy being expressed in two distinct ways. Um, And then again, so that constitutes having mercy, saving, and again, having mercy covered verses uh, 22 through 23. And that's part of the reason that we also chose to divide it up because there's a clear distinction in terms of uh, the application of these commandments. And so the first two, toward yourselves, toward toward you as an individual, you're to remember, you're to keep yourself. And then the last cluster of commands are directed toward others within the church. And so I thought that would be a helpful point of division as well. So for uh, purposes of slowing down, giving due regard, but also just to, to help us work through those distinction of the commands as well. So that being said, once more, there are two broad com- um, categories of commands, actions we take for ourselves, actions we take toward others, actions that will ultimately fill out and express our call to contend for the faith. So the first of these two commands, as we've already established, was to remember, um, which is what we worked through a week ago, and then to keep ourselves, which was the focus of this last Sunday. Now, as we turned our attention to verses uh, 20, and, um, 20 and 21, we also noted there was almost a reintroduction of his engagement of the Beloved. And that's a noteworthy matter because our work in verses 17 through 19 introduced us to the third and final section of the book. And with this regard, uh, with this redirect, as it were, um, he directed our attention in this final section back to the beloved. And it opens with, but you beloved. And so we we saw the second section, which constituted about 48% of the verses of the book, a large focused section on the ungodly, the clandestine offenders. And then in verse 17, he pivots over to the beloved, but you beloved. But then 
once more now in verses 20, or beginning with verse 20, he does that reintroduction again, but you beloved. And there's a reason for this. Because by the very nature of his command to remember that he worked through in 17 through 19, again, remember the apostolic testimony of the mockers coming in there mocking, by the very nature of that, there's going to be attention back on the clandestine godless offenders. And so even though he's engaged the beloved in a more intense and focused way once more as the third and final section of the book is introduced, he still is going to have to speak to those godless offenders. And so even though, again, but you, beloved, talking about these folks, now he's going to redirect once more, but you, beloved. So that's why we have that uh, reintroduction or restating, as it were, even though 17 through 25 is a focus clearly on the beloved, as we established uh, a week ago, that again, section one, focused on the beloved in Christ, section two, the ungodly, and then this last section, once more, the beloved. But again, that's why we have those pivots there. And so having reoriented us, uh, reoriented us back to the beloved, uh, we noted that the command here, again, was to keep yourselves in the love of God, to keep yourselves in the love of God, a command that was supported and filled out by three participles, building, praying, and waiting. So again, those are very uh, helpful tools and to flesh out that command. So the command is to keep yourselves, and it's filled out and articulated by building, praying, and keep and, and waiting. So by what means does one keep themselves in the love of God? Again, by those three things, building, praying, and waiting. And in developing work of building ourselves up on the most holy faith, um, we gave our attention to matters such as Jesus' commissioning of the apostles in Matthew 28, um, where he commands them in their going to do what? To make disciples, not simply converts, but to make disciples. And this by way of teaching. So by way of making the truths of God more plainly and clearly known, understood, and applied. That's the outworking of the building up process. We also work through the plain expectation of true believers maturing in their faith, and that a failure or deficiency in this area secured rebuke by both Paul and the author of Hebrews. And there should be a clear, as there should be a clear progression in the building up of one's faith, a progression as natural as transitioning from milk to solid food. It's what we expect of a new and maturing believer. We don't expect someone who first come to Christ to, to be able to articulate all matters of doctrine and practice with uh, absolute clarity. We, we expect a foundational understanding of their standing before God and the resolution to be um, brought near to God, to, to have peace with God is through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the, the sacrificial work of the cross and resurrection. We don't expect a whole lot of a brand new believer, but someone that's been walking with the Lord for a number of months or years or even decades, it should look like that. There should be a clear indication of progress, not just in their understanding, but their understanding also as it works itself out in the, the totality of their life in terms of their walk with the Lord, their praying, their singing, their thinking, their everything in their life. There should be a clear indication of that progress. Another principal point of application that we drew from also was um, Peter's writing about these things. Remember, we spent a number of um, weeks on these things in 2 Peter chapter 1, and we would draw back and reference to him every so often in our work in 2 Peter. And it wasn't just because that it was for an, it made for a nice list and something easy to hang our hat on and to, to draw attention to, but rather because it was a weighty matter for Peter. He drew special attention to it and regarded it as of, of unique value, the, the supplying of your faith with these things. 
and that we're to apply all diligence in the supplying of our faith with moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly love, and agape love. And he noted that that was uh, to the end of producing all kinds of help and strengthening you to mature your faith. And so this is an expression that we looked at on Sunday as uh, of building yourselves up in this most holy faith or your most holy faith. So again, that's another helpful point of application. We saw first the discipleship process, and then it's expressed through teaching. We saw it also in the form of applying these things and supplying your faith with these things. And there's a number of other ways we could consider and look at building ourselves up in our most holy faith, but I think those give us some good uh, places to, to process what's being expressed, what's expected in terms of this element of our being kept. We then work through the second element here, namely praying in the Holy Spirit or praying in accord to the uh, accordance to the will of God and while in absolute dependence upon Him. This was not uh, some form of uh, sensational or mystical praying. It's not that it's a different form of praying. It's praying in accordance to the will of God and submission to Him, confidence in Him, in accordance to His will. That's what praying in the Holy Spirit is. And so we noted that this has always been one of the most um, fundamental expressions of the identity of God's people. There's not necessarily this exact expression of it, praying in the Holy Spirit, but that God's people have and always will pray. Uh, You look at the totality of the scriptures and you look all throughout those who are found faithful, they are people of prayer, men and women of prayer. And it's expressed in the fact that they, they desire to commune with the Lord. They, they, and in this, in their praying, they, they affirm his truths and excellencies. They, they bear their heart before him. They wrestle on the application of truth and in their understanding of God's ways in this world. And they labor in petitioning while also seeking to bring their request in harmony to the will and desires of God as they've been made plain through the scriptures. And trusting him that he will do what is right. This is the sweeping nature of prayer. Again, it's, it's prayers, it's petitions, it's thanksgiving, it's reflecting back to God as excellencies, it's pouring one's heart out before him, it's communing with the Lord, and this is what God's people have always done. And with this, um, I propose that it is praying also that not only makes for a really helpful element here in our um, keeping ourselves in the love of God and our are ultimately contending for the faith, but I also argued that prayer itself would constitute the very sound of keeping oneself, of being kept by God. So various things have uh, noises or sounds associated with them. You can think about how um, a game at a stadium might sound, that general rumble of the people and the excitement. You can think of the sounds of maybe the interstate and the, the vroom of the cars going by or the maybe living near an airport. You hear the kind of the occasional rumble of an airplane or train tracks. And there's different sounds associated with uh, different uh, places and uh, different uh, activities. Well, I would argue that contending for the faith by way of keeping yourself in the love of God has a sound, and that's the sound of God's people praying. And to express this proposal, I I rapidly walked us through uh, 33 examples of our work in Psalm 119. So we're still continuing that work in Psalm 119, but just at present, we looked at 33 times that the psalmist is very clearly praying in a range of ways. Uh, Prayers to to know and love God's word, prayers for God to teach him and open his eyes, prayers for being rescued and revived, prayers for help, and many, many other ones, but all constituting and demonstrating the range of one's keeping oneself and of being kept. And then to press the matter a little bit more directly, I argued that, well, if, that's, if that doesn't satisfy an a, a understanding of 
this is what it sounds like to be kept and this is the nature of being kept or a part of the elements of being kept and, and keeping ourselves. Well, then I directed our attention to Luke 22 and Ephesians 6. And it was in Luke 22 that we have a really an extraordinary example of Jesus keeping Peter by means of prayer. So he tells Peter that Satan desires to sift him like wheat, but that he's prayed for him, that he's prayed that he would not fail, that his faith would not fail. That is a very clear expression of the Lord keeping his people through prayer and that informs us that maybe part of, and clearly so, part of the keeping of ourselves is also in praying in the Spirit. And then we also considered Ephesians 6, which comes at the conclusion, or 6.18, which comes at the conclusion of Paul's discourse on the armor of God. You could also consider the armor of God what we might call the adornments of contending. So what do you wear when you're contending? Well, be a pretty good idea to wear the armor of God. And then he finishes that uh, engagement and uh, exposition of the armor of God with a call to prayer, praying at all times with all prayer and petition in the spirit. So we see that the element of praying is an incredibly important part of our keeping ourselves in the love of God. And then we turned our attention to the command proper the, the, to keep oneself in the love of God. We have one more element, but we continued by first looking at this command and keeping with the order of the passage as well. So we recognize that Christ will keep his own. That was a sure established fact in the introduction of the book and that we have uh, theologically established throughout the New Testament. And yet we too are called to keep uh, to do the work of keeping ourselves as well. And so that can present a measure of tension, perhaps, maybe even paradoxical tension. The Lord keeps us. He will keep us. That's a sure, guaranteed promise. And yet he's commanded us to keep ourselves. Well, it's not unlike what uh, Paul says of sanctification in Philippians chapter 2, that we're to work out our, our, work out our salvation in fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who is at work within us, both to work and to will for his good pleasure. And so we recognize that... Uh, it's a work of the Spirit of God. He will accomplish. He will bring this to pass. And yet it's a work that we're commanded to engage in ourselves. And while working, knowing that it is God who sanctifies, just as it is God who keeps. Also, we made it emphatically clear that the command to keep oneself does not mean that we now finish the work of being kept in the love of God by means of works. And so it's not that, well... He establishes the work, and now we have to finish it by way of works, or that there's anything that under creation that can, has the capacity to separate us from the love of God. We're not being commanded to keep ourselves in the love of God because, again, we're to work, the self, work this out in our own strength and work, or because there's a threat of something separating us from the love of God. We address those matters with a view to Galatians 3 and Romans 8, that uh, you who began by the Spirit, are you now going to finish by works of the flesh? Absolutely not. And Romans 8, that there's absolutely nothing that can or ever will separate us from the love of God. We also contrasted the keeping of the beloved with the keeping of the wicked or the ungodly. They, they also are being kept and are keeping themselves, which is a terrible prospect, but it's something we've seen very plainly in both our work in Second Peter as well as our extensive work in the book of Jude. So it's a keeping, though, that's a different nature. It's a keeping and a judgment, a keeping that has been secured for them and that they, again, they plainly participate in as well with their patterns of conduct and unbelief. So once more, by contrast, the righteous are kept and also keep ourselves. So the wicked are kept, and by the very nature of their conduct, they're also keeping themselves under judgment. And we also are kept and, by the nature of our obedience, are keeping ourselves. So God keeps us, and we also engage in the work of faith and faithfulness and the keeping of ourselves for and to God as well. 
And finally, we came to that third element of our keeping ourselves. So the first two, and then the command, and then the final element that also informs and fills out the command. So the first two preceded the command, and this one, waiting, I think rightfully follows it as it looks to the end. It specifically looks to Christ's return for his beloved when the need for keeping has been fully satisfied. It's no longer necessary to be kept. The work will be finished, and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life will have been fully known. And so the mercy that was applied to us will be most completely experienced and expressed toward us, and our being kept will have been finished as well. And we're, this is where we also saw that um, this hope, this, uh, this expectation, this waiting is, is an active, um, very intentional expression of waiting and looking and longing. We saw that it's also a purifying exercise. It's not just something that's a good practice to have or maybe something that the Lord's Supper presses us to consider that we do so as long as we are waiting the Lord's return, but it's a, by its very nature, it's also a purifying hope. So it works an effectual work. And so obviously the building up accomplishes something, the praying does something, but the waiting, it's not just a posturing and positioning. It is working an effectual work in our keeping as well. And we see this... Uh, expressed very, very plainly in the, the um, letter of John to 1 John, uh, chapter 1, 1 John, excuse me, chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, where he speaks of um, the, the great love the Father has extended toward us and the transformative work that occurs as we longingly expect and look to our Lord's return, that it's a purifying hope. And it will drive us to build our faith up and it will drive us to prayer. And so I would argue that of the three elements, uh, this one's quite unique, not only in its placement, but it informs the others and it really has a, a precious uh, a value to it, as it were. So we're building ourselves up, we're praying and we're waiting all expressions and outworking of our keeping ourselves in the love, in the love of God. And as we came to a conclusion, I reminded you that one of the staple ways that we encourage you to pray for the church body um, is really kind of uh, captured and um, one of our own staple prayer elements that we have in our, our shared prayer app. So one of the things that we think about is obviously we're to keep ourselves, but we it's a mutual engagement. We want to see the church body kept. And so one of the things I highlighted for us was that uh, one of the ways that we've encouraged the church to pray for, for some time now, for months or even maybe over a year or two now, is that uh, we would consider a clustering of the things that we actually cover, but it was already there. It was just principles we drew from the scriptures, namely that the church corporate body, um, the, excuse me, the, church, the corporate church body as a whole, we pray that it would grow in maturity, that it would love Christ, walk in obedience, abstain from sin, love one another, declare the excellencies of Christ, and long for the Lord's return. So I think that's a worthwhile point of application that we should consider. It answers all of those elements, the, the call to build up, the, the expectation to pray in the Spirit, and obviously the waiting, all expressions of keeping yourselves. And so it's a way that we can pray for the church body as we are all expected to fulfill these elements with a view to that one great command there of keeping yourselves, obviously one of five commands here at the end. The first one being remembering, this one being to keep yourselves, the next two having mercy, saving, having mercy toward others and need of uh, rescuing, as it were, matters that we will look into this next week. And with that last item, I think it's a good place to begin consideration of how we might pray in response to our work in the text. 
Um, so I'll just repeat that last matter as our, our new prayer item. It was, it's again, it's a staple prayer item for the church, and it reflects all these principles. But let's make it one of our prayer elements for this uh, reflection on this passage as well. So once more, pray that the cor- corporate church body as a whole would grow in maturity, love Christ, walk in obedience, abstain from sin, love one another, declare the excellencies of Christ, and long for the Lord's return. Second, we can pray that we will be found faithful in our building, praying, and waiting. Those three elements are easy to remember, and we need to remember them. We need to remember them so that we might put them to action. So again, pray that we'd be found faithful in our building, specifically building ourselves up in our most holy faith, and our praying, specifically praying in the Spirit of God, and waiting, waiting for the mercy that's going to be revealed to us um, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And then, Um, We should also give matters of praise to God. Praise God that we're not only commanded to keep ourselves in the love of God, but that we know that Christ will keep his own. That's not an excuse to inaction. It's actually one pursuing an excuse for inaction really should question their own keeping. It's it's a frightening disposition to to be so blatantly disobedient and to um, be so lazy in one's pursuit of Christ whom they declare that they love and have a desire to be pleasing to. And so we should, again, give thanks to God that while we've been commanded to, to keep ourselves, that we know he will keep us, just as he'll complete this work in us as well. And finally, praise God that though the mockers mock Christ's glorious return, it remains our sure and blessed hope, and that from being, um, uh, and, and that from far from being in vain, our waiting is transformative. I'm not sure that I... Um, Okay, I did get that right on the prayer item. I wanted to make sure I had that spelled out right in my slide there. So again, I wanted to um, express praise to God that even though the mockers, their chief expression, the culmination of their mocking is the mocking of Christ's return. We saw that in 2 Peter 3. We saw that in Jude's engagement of Enoch's prophecy here in Jude chapter 1. But that being said, that doesn't diminish that this hope is our, our transformative hope for us. And it is a sure hope. And as we saw um, it's an element of our being kept and keeping ourselves as well. All right. Well, I hope that our work in Jude has been encouraging to you. Um, it certainly has been to me, and I, I trust our local church fellowship. And we're soon going to be reaching its conclusion. I, I know that we paced it out a little bit longer than originally anticipated, and we've continued to, to have that uh, process and work extended, as it were, but we're coming to a closer uh, closer. Um, examination of the ending of the book this next week will we'll be in verses, what, uh, 22, 23, with the final three commands. And then after a few weeks of a pause, um, which is part of the reason I was going to push through to finish, but we're going to have a, an abbreviated pause where Pastor Matt Neal is going to give a few special messages, and it'll provide me an opportunity to, um, to accomplish some different things among them, my preparation for the book of James, which will be our attention after we finish Jude. But then we're going to come back after Pastor Matt Neal does a few special messages, and we'll come back to the very end of Jude, and it'll be a sweet time of refreshment in terms of what we've walked through, but also to examine that uh, great doxological conclusion that he drives the letter to. And then it'd be a really good setup for the book of James, who happens to be authored by Jude's brother. So a a nice and fun point of connection there. But in the meantime, we have our weekly prayer meeting tomorrow evening. We would encourage anybody that's able to join us. Um, It's something that you can't necessarily uh, capture in the same way by way of um, video or audio. It's a part of the life of the church as we pray. Obviously, an element of our keeping ourselves as we pray in the Holy Spirit 
but we also pray together, and we labor through a portion of the Scriptures. Uh, tomorrow to be Psalm 119, 105 through 112, to consider how that can further direct us to prayer, and then we take time to, to share matters of prayer and praise and, and uh, participate in that together as a, a church body. So we'd encourage you uh, to join us if you're able, and if not, uh, we trust that you will be found faithful wherever the Lord has you uh, for this time. All right, well, grace and peace to you all.